Welcome to the latest edition of our Fixed Interest podcast series. My name's Ed Parker and I'm the Global Head of Research for Sovereign Ratings. I'm joined today by Brian Coulton, Fitch's Chief Economist and lead author of the latest edition of our Global Economic Outlook. Brian, there seems to be a lot going on. Growth slowing and increasing talk of recession, lockdowns in China, major energy and food shocks from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, inflationary pressures intensifying, the Fed tightening monetary policy at a rapid rate, and the ECB already scrambling to head off concerns about Eurozone fragmentation. So how do you weigh all this up? Perhaps you could kick off the discussion by setting out the headline messages from the latest GEO published earlier this week, and we can then drill down into some of these issues in a bit more detail. Yeah, thanks, Ed. And as you say, uh, a lot going on out there. I think probably the overarching theme from this GEO, the overarching message is just that the inflation problem has now become really serious and it's getting worse and the pressures look to be pretty much unrelenting. Right now, sort of this year, they're being exacerbated, obviously, by a number of new supply shocks coming from the Russia-Ukraine war, the lockdown in China. But I think underneath all that as well, there's increasing fear, increasing evidence that inflation is becoming embedded, becoming starting to become self-reinforcing. And that's really worrying the central banks. And that's sort of led to one of the major changes in this forecast. For the first time, we're now expecting that the Fed and the Bank of England are going to take interest rates above neutral. So we're going to be seeing a return to tight monetary policy, restrictive monetary policy stance from from, from the Fed. And that is a very new environment, quite different to the previous messages on monetary policy, which was the normalisation process is going to happen earlier than we previously expected, getting back to neutral more quickly. Now we're going to outright monetary policy, a tight monetary policy stance. Implications for growth and that are going to be quite significant. And that's really the dominating uh, sort of feature of, of, of this forecast. So you paint a picture of slowing growth and, and we've also seen downward revisions to our forecast and there's a, a multitude of threats out there to the outlook. And as you say, there's now growing talk of outright recession. So how close is that to becoming a reality and, and what would it take to get there given that the consumer still appears to be quite strong? Yeah, the recession word is definitely back on the street. A lot of people are talking about it. You know, we published uh, What Investors Want to Know in March, where we talked about the inflation problem raising the spectre of of recession as one of the possible results of dealing with the inflation problem. Uh, And that's very much become part of the financial market narrative recently. But I, I, I guess message I want to give is that I don't see an immediate downturn here on the consumer side. There is quite a bit of a a narrative developing that we're seeing this squeeze on real incomes, the consumer's going to stop spending, we're going to get a downturn, negative output gap's going to open up, unemployment's going to increase. That in itself will sort of automatically choke off inflation. I really don't see it that way. So when we look at the underlying income position of the US consumer, we're seeing employment growth of about 5% on a year-on-year basis, still growing on a sequential basis pretty strongly. We're seeing nominal wage growth of six, six and a half percent, depending exactly how you measure it. Yes, we've got inflation at eight and a half, but if you look at the broader picture, US nominal aggregate household income is grown at the double digit rate. So we've got we've got strong aggregate growth in real income as well. That's not the scenario in which the consumer suddenly stops spending money. So 
I think, and I think you know, the numbers look similar in the UK as well. The, the labour markets are one of the big bright spot in this recovery story. They're still really, really strong in terms of job growth and and nominal wage growth. So, it looks more to us as if we're getting what I would call a bit of real wage resistance, and we're still getting strong growth in aggregate household income. So, I don't think the consumer is going to fall over in the in the near term. So. The sort of dynamics of, of how we get to a recession, it's all going to take a little bit longer, I think. We're going to need to see the central banks respond, and then that's going to take time to feed through. You know, we're, we're back to more of a traditional sort of length of economic cycle. You know, we've just been through the pandemic, which was very unusual. It was a very short recession, very quick recovery. The recession lasted one quarter. It was exceptionally deep, but it was very, very short. I think now we're back to sort of slightly more traditional economic cycles driven by monetary tightening. But it's going to take two or three years for us to see, first of all, monetary policy has got to adjust. It hasn't adjusted much so far, despite all the all the change in the narrative. Uh, and then it's going to take time to feed through to the consumer. So it's, it's not really until the second half of 2023 in our forecasts that we start to see the US consumer and the US economy slowing down significantly on the back of the Fed tightening that's going to be happening over the, the next few months. So I, I think I think that's uh, you know that is one of the messages. Don't expect this recession to unfold in the very near future. Central banks started out by dismissing the jump in inflation as temporary related to the post-pandemic reopening strains and a commodity price shock coming from the Russia-Ukraine war. And traditionally, credible central banks tend to ignore food and energy shocks as too volatile to respond to and out of the control of monetary policy. But they now seem to be getting more and more worried. What has changed since those earlier attitudes were expressed? And why is their policy reaction function so different this time? Well, I think when we look back to that initial, this is a transitory inflation story, you know, obviously, one thing that's happened is that the forecasts have been so wrong, you know, and this is not just the central banks here, you know, the economics profession has not done a great job at realising how serious this inflation problem was. Were. So so it's partly just about the numbers. Inflation has been much higher for much longer than, than, than any of the central banks expected. And that's kind of unnerved them because, you know, they're not supposed to make these forecast mistakes. I think part of it is just about the numbers, but I think it's also that some of these pandemic supply shocks have turned out to be much more serious than the initial assessments suggested uh, in terms of the manufacturing supply chain pressures. I think a lot of the lot of the story there is actually about just the, the strength of demand for consumer durables, but but that's not going away. That's been one of the things that's changed is that a lot of us expected U.S. consumer durable spending after leaping in the pandemic would suddenly then sort of fall off quite quickly as the economy reopened, went back to services spending. We are seeing the services spending recover, but we're not seeing the durable spending go down. In fact, it's, it's growing again in the last couple of months. So particularly US consumers are still spending more and more money on, on, on cars and, and, and durables. So that, that switch back towards services hasn't happened. That's prolonging the supply chain issues. Now, of course, we've got new supply chain issues coming from Russia, Ukraine, coming from the China lockdown as well. So it's sort of a, a bunch of rolling supply shocks, if you like, adding to the mix. But then I think the broader issue here is that there's clearer and clearer evidence that this inflation, because it's gone on so long, because inflation has got so high, because it's been such a visible thing, you know, it's food and energy, which everybody, you know, people people go and buy this stuff every day. It's not as if it's some obscure form of inflation. It's rents as well. It's starting to become embedded. It's starting to take on characteristics of becoming self-reinforcing. And we're seeing that in the US uh, CPI for the services sector. 
now over 5%, continues to rise every single month. Uh, rent, rentals are a big part of that. They're going up and up. Private sector measures of rents suggest there's further to go on that front. And then it comes down to the tightness of the labour market, which is sort of you know underlying that increase in services inflation. This, again, was something that was initially when we saw this evidence of labour shortages in the US, it looked like it was going to be a relatively short-term thing. And we ex- all of us expect, a lot of economists expected participation rates to come back quite quickly once the economy reopened. That's just not happening. Uh, so particularly older workers have left, looks like they've left the, left the labour market permanently. So as labour demand has come back, as the economy's reopened and the stimulus has gone in, labour supply has been severely, severely lagging. So what we're seeing now is that indicators of labour market tightness, such as the vacancies unemployment ratio, that are completely outside the range of historical experience. We've never seen two vacancies for each unemployed person in the United States before. In the UK, that ratio has reached one. Again, never seen, never seen that before. And that rise in the vacancies to unemployment uh, ratio is clearly correlated with rising, rising wage inflation. So when you're a central bank, you've seen inflation reach the, these levels six, 700 basis points above the inflation target. It's gone on for a long time. Inflation expectations are moving up. The labor market's tight. Wage growth is rising. That's telling you monetary policy needs to be tight. But the central banks have gone into this with monetary policy extremely loose. So they're miles away from where they need to be. And I think it's a little bit of panic setting in. Inflation is proving to be very unpopular and has become an issue of concern for politicians. We hear talk about a cost of living crisis. What scope is there for governments to tackle inflation with fiscal measures or will they just have to leave the task to central banks? It's been quite striking how unpopular inflation has proven. If you go back to what you and I learned at college, it was that politicians liked a bit of inflation because that helped, you know, low interest rates help them get through the next election. And, you know, you had to farm out monetary policy to central banks because they would be the only ones that really cared about it. Politicians care about inflation, obviously, because people care about it. So it's become a big issue, a big mainstream issue. And governments are looking to, to help out. You know, we've seen in the UK these uh, big transfers to, to households to help with, with energy bills. A lot of other countries are doing that, subsidising retail energy prices in, in a number of countries as well. And, and, and I think we'll probably see more of that. But I think there are limits as to how far you can go. I mean, it'd be interesting in your view on this on the fiscal side as well. But if you put too much fiscal support into the economy at this point, you're going you're gonna to be adding to aggregate demand, adding to the broader inflation problem. So my sense is that, that there are limits on this and it will have to be quite sort of targeted, quite sort of targeted. And I suppose this is why governments are also looking to, to raise taxes, you know, maybe win, the windfall tax has sort of come into this debate in, in that context as well. You know, the, the scope for a, a very large outright overt fiscal easing from an inflation management perspective, doesn't seem quite the right approach now from from, from my perspective. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and actually, well, we did see even before the, the war that a number of governments were already putting in place a number of fiscal measures to, to try and help with this, this cost of living crisis. But, but as you say, it seems to go in the wrong direction in terms of cooling the economy. It's been a long time since we've had an outright tight monetary policy stance by the Fed, as you're forecasting now for later this year. How is the US and world economy placed to cope with this? You're absolutely right. We looked at the history books. We we think it's probably you have to go back to 2006 to find a previous episode where the Fed had rates well above their estimate of, of neutral. So how does the US economy look now? Well, clearly, you know, one positive is that 
US household finances look a lot stronger now. So household debt to income ratios have come right down. Debt service to income ratios have fallen. Obviously, there that's going to go up with that's obviously going to go up with rates. But if we're looking at the financial flows of the household sector, you know we've had big increase in saving rates through the pandemic. Although those saving rates have come down, they're still above investment rates. So the household sector in the US is running a financial surplus. So households look stronger, no, no doubt about that. There's more fixed rate mortgage debt than, than, than variable rate mortgage debt. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're not perhaps got such an aggressive downturn, although we're well below consensus. We've got growth at 1.5 next year in the US and then 1.3 in 2024, 1.3 in 2024. It's skirting with a recession, but but not an, not an outright recession. Another uncertainty, though, is quite how the impact of quantitative tightening is going to uh, influence the economy. No one no one really knows the answer to this. The Fed thinks it's going to be a pretty mild additional uh, tightening in credit conditions, but we've already seen very big increase in US mortgage rates, uh, which probably has something to do with the, the, the Fed unwinding its balance sheet, and that, that's going to influence uh, housing investment. So I think that's, that's a bit of, an, a bit of an unknown. But yeah, I think in terms of the global impact, you know, traditionally emerging markets tends, uh, tend, tends to struggle. So you know, just be interested in, in your view from the sovereign side as well, how, how emerging markets are going to be placed to deal with this. Yeah, well, we see a challenging environment for emerging markets and particularly the weaker frontier markets as we know, periods of sharp Fed tightening and an associated strong US dollar and heightened risk aversion typically leads to significant emerging market stresses, particularly for those with large external financing needs. On top of that, as you've described, we've got a picture of slowing global growth, including in China, the top trading partner for many emerging markets. Then high and rising inflation rates is forcing emerging market central banks to raise domestic policy rates to a much greater amplitude than we're seeing in developed markets. Then the burden of higher food prices falls disproportionately on the poor, and this is really adding to social pressures. So this combination of weaker growth, higher interest rates and strong social pressures is going to make it more challenging for many emerging markets to reduce their budget deficits and debt ratios. An important exception is commodity producers, though, who are benefiting from a rise in their terms of trade and a strong rise in nominal GDP in US dollar terms. It's interesting that last point there, just picking up on the sort of maybe more positives here. You know, one one thing I think has been striking about emerging markets, though, is how a number of the, the major emerging market central banks kind of got well ahead of the Fed last year. If you look at the Brazilian central bank and Mexican central bank raising rates quite early on in terms of this inflation shock. So in some sense, that leaves them a little bit better placed to cope with this period of Fed tightening. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for those insights. And thank you, everyone, for listening. For more on Fitch's economic projections, you can access the report we've been discussing titled Global Economic Outlook June 2022, along with other sovereign and economics research on Fitch's website, fitchratings.com. I hope you join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.